0: Well, good morning church. How is everybody doing this morning? We got all shoveled out. We're all uh, snowed in. Everybody got shoveled out. <laughs> if you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mario. If you're not from Buffalo, we had a, a nice snowstorm come through. And uh, this guy from Southern California, um, l- although I love the snow, I don't like shoveling it. Alright, so, <laughs> but it is Christmas, it is winter, so praise the Lord. I think I am like Pastor Milo. I'd rather have snow than just mud everywhere, right? Uh, well we're celebrating Christmas uh, this last week, it was hopefully it was a blessed time for you and your family. I know that for my family we had a wonderful time sitting at home doing nothing, just enjoying uh, enjoying some Christmas movies and uh, eating a lot of food. I don't know if, if you, any of you saw my wife's uh, post on Facebook but dishes were covering the counter and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a great time. So I um, hope you had the same uh, experience in your homes this, this last weekend. Uh, and on that note, I do want to just say thank you to all those over the last month, uh, last two months that have been in prayer, that have participated in the Christmas story video that the church produced, the Christmas pageant, uh, children's video that was produced, the Christmas music, all of the things that have gone into this last uh, month of Christmas. I want to thank you so much for those who are involved. We know that um, it was a difficult time, different time, because we're during COVID, but we did it. and. Uh, and here we are with our Christmas decorations up still because we love the season. Well, speaking of Christmas, um, one of my favorite Christmas tunes that I hear on the radio quite often is the song by John Lennon, Happy Christmas, War is Over. Maybe you've heard that song before. Matter of fact, um, I think I heard that uh, right around the time that uh, Thanksgiving was over because, you know, as the radio stations do, they just start playing Christmas music right away. And, uh, and if, you, if you listen to Christmas music in the summer, shame on you, you need to wait until Christmas to do that. But that song Happy Christmas War is Over is one of my favorite songs and as I heard it this year um, I didn't realize that there was actually a backstory to the song itself and I don't know if many of you know this or you were, you were, most of you were alive before I was during the time the song came out but that song was actually um, was, was written and uh, released in 1971 by John Lennon and two years prior to actually releasing the song John Lennon had started a peace protest and the slogan of the protest was, uh, war is over if you want it. And and him and he basically paid for billboards to go across the country that basically said that, war is over if you want it, John and Yoko Ono. And of course at the time what was happening was the Vietnam War. And so in 1971, two years after he put up the billboards, he released the song, Happy Christmas, War is Over. And, uh, and the song wasn't really a big hit at the time because it came out too, much, too close to Christmas time to actually gain the momentum. Of course, now it's on the radio all the time, we hear it, and, uh, and it's, it's actually a, a protest song, even though it's about Christmas, and if you listen very closely to the words, uh, he says, you know, so this is Christmas, and what have you done, uh, you know, a, another year over, a new one just begun, and as the song goes on, you can very faintly hear the voices in the back, war is over, if you want it, and I thought that was kind of interesting, I never really listened to the song that way, um, hearing it as a protest song, because you just hear it as a Christmas song. And uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you, you finally listen to the lyrics of a song and it changed your your whole outlook on what the song means, right? Well, the whole idea behind the song was just was the idea of being a protest song, but it was this anticipation, right? That there was an expectation happening. Like the war wasn't over, the Vietnam War wouldn't end the uh, war wouldn't end for a few more years, but there was an expectation in that time that as, as young people, as artists, as musicians, they could do something, they could change the culture, they could make a move happen. And uh, there was just this anticipation that this is what was going to happen. You know, John Lennon wasn't the only one, right? Bob Dylan wrote the times they are a changing. Again, there's just this idea that, that, that things will change. There's an expectation of things to happen. Well, as we, as we look at uh, Christmas story, as we, uh, as we look at the Christmas story in the book of Luke, we come to a passage of Scripture where there is an expectation among the nation of Israel for something to happen. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning you can turn to Luke chapter 2 starting at verse 21 is where we will be at this morning but the idea this morning and the title of my message is happy Christmas war is over the expectation the expectation of what is to come has finally arrived and as we look at our scripture this morning we're gonna see that it's through Jesus Christ and as we open up God's Word this morning I pray we can find confidence and hope in that so once again we're in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21, and I'll be reading in the uh, ESV version. You can follow along in your Bible. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, being Joseph and Mary, his parents, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can come to this place, to, uh, to church, and to worship you. Thank you for those who are joining us online, worshiping at their homes or wherever they may be. Thank you that we can come and open your word this morning. We can look at the scriptures and, and learn what it teaches us about our life and how um, a godly life should be lived. And, and I thank you that um, you've given us your son, Jesus. And as we continue to celebrate the Christmas season at church here, I pray that we can find hope and that we can find our trust in you, Lord God. And I thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's dive into God's word here. Like I said, we're looking at Luke chapter 2. And uh, as you can see here, um, there's going to be a couple things that we talk about, particularly when we get to uh, this individual by the name of Simeon. And I think Simeon gives it away for us because it says here that he was waiting for something. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's jump back to uh, verse 21 of this passage. It says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised. You know, one of the things we understand when we look at the scriptures, particularly the book of Luke, is that Luke sets the stage for us. He sets the stage for the nation of Israel. When Christ was born, the nation of Israel was under the Roman rule. They were still uh, abiding by the rules and the regulations of the law of Moses, the Mosaic law and the the Old Testament law that we find in, uh, in Exodus and Leviticus. We see that, um, that throughout all of Luke's writings, both uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, Luke likes to bring up a lot of the things of the law and explain what they mean. And one of the reasons we believe he does that is because he's writing to a non-Jewish audience. So he's got to explain a couple things to them to make sure they understand, you know, what exactly is happening. And, um, and you know, Luke begins his, his gospel by saying, I've investigated all these things so I could... Uh, I could reassure you of the things I've seen. So um, Luke, in his, in his research, we're, we're assuming um, that he went back to the Old Testament uh, because he quotes some of the New Testament in, in his scripture. Uh, but he always refers back to um, the law. He re- refers back to some of the regulations, some of the things that are mentioned. He does that quite often. Uh, let me give an example. Uh, when you turn to the book of Acts, uh, you may remember a character by the name of, um, of Barnabas. right? Um, and, and Barnabas and, and, and Saul, as they began their journeys, as they go to different, uh, as they go to different locations, the, they, it says that, that the Paul and Barnabas go to synagogues, and they go to different places where the Jewish people are. So uh, Luke is trying to help the readers to see that there's, there's a context with, within his writing, and that's that first century Judaism. Uh, you know, and so when we think of that in terms of the Bible, we have to understand that Luke's gospel really paints a picture for, picture for us uh, at the end of the day of how Jesus... How he, how he fulfills God's salvation in a broad context, right? How Jesus fulfills the Old Testament laws, the requirements of the laws. He really reveals to us how Jesus does that. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that, how that happens. So all that being said, uh, we read here that Jesus' parents bring him or take him to be circumcised. Of course, this was nothing new if you were Jewish, right? On the eighth day after your birth, you were to be circumcised. And uh, and it identified you as part of the the covenant people Israel, the part of the covenant people of God, and uh, and we know that um, that that was given to Mo to Abraham actually, in, in the book of Genesis that Gen- Abraham was told to to circumcise your children, and then several hundred years later it was actually put into the Mosaic law that you should have your children circumcised, and that's an important thing for us this morning as we think and look at the life of Jesus, right, because. Uh, all the way from the very beginning even before it was put into a law that you should be circumcised there was there was something that God was doing with the nation of Israel and, and, and telling them that that they, that they need to have a faith relationship with them that the, the, the requirement of circumcision came before the law and we learned that in the scriptures that faith comes before the law in, in Romans Paul talks about that but I want, you, I want to make this connection here because it's so important um, that in the Bible, the idea of circumcision is not just a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing. It's, a, it's an attitude of the heart. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verses 12 to 22, uh, this is what it says. And now Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer did you catch that phrase circumcise your heart well you know there's there's kind of an interesting thing happening here is circumcision something of the law or is it something of faith is it something that we're obligated to do or something that we do out of love for the Lord in, in regards of circumcising our heart Well, in in Deuteronomy 30, Ezekiel 44, the same language is used. Circumcise your heart, consecrate your heart. And we see here that as Joseph and Mary bring their child Jesus to be circumcised, they're participating in the law. But the question I want to ask us this morning is, as we obey God, are we doing it out of obligation or are we doing it out of our heart's love for God? Were Mary and Joseph doing it out of obligation or were they doing it out of love for God? It's a great question, one that may keep you up all night. I don't know. Well, as we move through the scripture, we see here that, um, that he was Jesus. he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then verse 22 goes on to tell us, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Well, this is a great great picture here of, of, of Joseph and Mary bringing their child to the, the temple in Jerusalem. Again, fulfilling the requirements of the law. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scriptures, uh, sometimes I find things in the scripture that I may have read over and just glossed over or not really realized it before. And one of the things, when you take a look back in uh, Deuteronomy, when you take a look back in in Exodus, um, you'll see here that in Exodus chapter 13 is where this phrase is given, every firstborn among your sons you shall redeem. Uh, As as, as I started looking more into this idea of what does that mean, your firstborn son shall be redeemed, bringing your your firstborn to the temple, um, it's it's so weird because in, in Numbers chapter 18, a passage I've read before but never really you know, really looked into, it just blew my mind that there was a scripture written where God says that everything that, um, that you bring to the temple, right, that when you sacrifice it, you should even bring your firstborn child to the temple. But you wouldn't sacrifice your child. You would actually pay a fee to redeem your child back from the priest. Numbers chapter 18 uh, describes this. Listen to what it says in Numbers 18. It says, "Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours." He's talking to the priests at the time. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, and their redemption price you shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. I'd never read this passage before, but when when you brought your child, your firstborn, to the temple you were to redeem your firstborn child by paying a price to get him back from the Lord. And the idea here is if you remember the story of the Passover what happened? The Lord passed through Egypt and the firstborn of every man and of every animal was was killed on the, la- the night of the Passover. And God uses this later to teach the Israelites about consecration, about setting apart. And now the Lord says That every firstborn of the Israelites is consecrated should be dedicated to the Lord and there's a redemption price that needs to be paid and so we see here happening within the scripture what that Mary and Joseph they bring their son to fulfill the requirements of the law they bring their son to the temple they bring their child their firstborn son uh, to do exactly what was written in the law Again, we don't know if this was out of obligation or if it was out of the heart that they just love the Lord, but they do this. They're obedient to God. And then we see in verse 24 that they give the offering of two young pigeons, which according to the Old Testament law meant that Mary and Joseph, they weren't rich. They couldn't bring a lamb. They had to bring two turtle doves or, or two pigeons. Jesus was born into a poor family. He wasn't born into wealth. He wasn't born into status. He was born into a poor family. But yet a poor family that was rich in faith and if we want to start applying this scripture to our life here um, you know we can think about uh, we can think about the example that Mary and Joseph set for us right that we may be poor we may be of no status but yet are you rich in faith that's my question to you this morning as we begin to open up the scripture right where are you in your faith you know I'm so amazed in, in the ministry, how many times I've heard, particularly student ministry, how many times I've heard parents say to me, um, or parents bring their children to church, but the parents won't come to church at all themselves. And it just blows my mind that they expect their children to, to grow godly and to grow in wisdom, but yet the parents aren't actively involved in faith. I don't know if I've told this story before, but several years ago, while serving youth ministry, I had a, I had a mom uh, say to me, Uh, very pointedly, she said, I'm just glad my son's coming to your church and not the Jehovah Witness church. And, you know, at the end of the day, she didn't know the difference between the Baptist church I was in and the Jehovah Witness church. She didn't know anything. She's just glad her son wasn't out knocking on doors. That's all she really cared about, right? Uh, And and, and I I felt sad for this woman. I I shared the gospel with her and I tried to to let her know about God's love, but uh, her son came and and that was it. She never participated in, in church at all. You know, what kind of example are we setting for our children, if you're a parent this morning, if you're a grandparent, for your grandchildren? right? What kind of example are we setting? We see here that Mary and Joseph uh, show us a godly example. You may be poor, but you can be rich in faith. And this is the kind of family that Jesus grew up in, a family that was devoted to the Lord. You know, I I, I think it would be safe to say that Mary and Joseph, through this scripture, reveals to us, that um that they had a heart that wasn't doing things out of obligation but they had a heart that really sought after the lord and that's what each one of us need to have we need to have a heart that seeks after the lord not because he's told us to do things but because we love him and because we want him to be a part of our life we need to have our hearts consecrated to the lord as as the lord said when he talked about circumcision being consecrated out to the lord as we move through the scriptures we get to the next several verses Lord now you're letting your servant depart in peace and he goes on. I Don't think Luke intends this to be a comedic moment But I like to think of this in this regard the scripture says here that what? That, that Simeon comes and sees the child and takes up takes him up in his arms, right? If you if, if you're a parent you may have experienced this when you're out and your child's in the stroller and people just come Right in and start reaching for your baby and cooling cuddling and doing all that and You're like back off people like that's we're not doing that here. Right? You know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that before? And, and, and I kind of in my mind, I picture that, you know, but Scripture says that Simeon came right in, and, uh, and, he, and he swooped up the baby in his arm and started praising God, right? And, um, and it, by divine providence, by leading of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says here that Simeon ends up at the temple at the same time as Jesus. But listen to what we learn about Simeon here in Luke 2.25. He was a devout man. He was righteous and he was waiting for God to comfort Israel. Now, most of your Bibles probably say he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. But I like how N.T. Wright you, um, uh, in, translates this passage, what you see on the screen. He was waiting for God to comfort Israel. And that's really what the meaning behind that idea and the phrase the consolation of Israel really means. It means comforting someone, um, uh, being encouragement for them. Right? Have you ever consoled someone? time. This is what is uh, the meaning behind this passage. Throughout Luke, he uses that, that word, um, uh, the, the word that's comfort here throughout his, his, uh, his writings in the gospel, and he's always talking about an encouragement or a comforter or an encouraging message that's preached maybe through the book of Acts. And, and as I mentioned before, Israel during this time needed a lot of comfort. They were not they, they, they were not under their own rule. They were not ru- living autonomously in, in, the, in the nation. They were under the Roman rule at the time, right? Um, they were paying taxes to Caesar. There was a lot happening in first century um, Israel. And there was a lot of hope that was needed. There was a lot of consolation that was needed. You know, if we take a step back and look at the bigger picture of the scripture, if we take a, a bigger uh, glance at the kind of the narratives that are happening through scripture, we, we see this happening. We we see, first of all, that Genesis begins with what? With with the creation, right? Genesis begins with creation, then we move through through the the narrative of the Old Testament, we get to the the Israelites in Egypt, and the exodus from Israel, right? And then then we get these these cool stories of the the judges, and then we get to this, this big chapter in Kings and Chronicles, where it talks about the monarchy under David, and under the rulers, the kings of Israel. And then we get to this big thing that happens which is the, the exile into Babylon that, that occurs. And really, I mean, for, for, as we look at the, the storyline of the Old Testament, this is kind of how the Old Testament ends. I mean, there's a glimmer of hope that Israel will return back to the land. They started rebuilding the walls. They started, you know, putting the Jerusalem back together. But at the end of the day, the, the, the Old Testament ends with Israel still kind of being in exile uh, there's not the full glory um, that we see happening in, in, the, like, as in the days of David. It's just kind of dark and gloomy, and that's how the Old Testament ends. And so as Luke writes here, Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. We can understand why there was a need for hope. There was a need for comfort within the nation. Isaiah the prophet gives us an Old Testament passage that really speaks to this idea of comfort. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There it is. Did you catch it? Comfort my people. Even though the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, even though all these prophets pronounce judgment on the nation, they also pronounce these words, comfort. Hosea, for instance, uses this language. He says, I will speak tenderly to her, referring to the nation. That even though they have fallen to sin, God still loves them and God will speak tenderly to her. And here we have Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now I want to make this connection here as we look through this passage because there's actually a couple phrases that are used, right? Um, It says here that he um, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and then in verse 26 it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. Later on as he prays he says my eyes have seen your salvation. So we get this connection here of, of the hope of Israel, the Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the salvation of God coming to the nation. These, these ideas combine together. And this is the hope of Israel, that God would deliver them through a king in the line of David who would deliver them from their sin, who would bring them the hope that they've always wanted. And, and Luke makes this connection that that king, that person, that hope is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who don't come from a Jewish background, or we weren't alive reading this for the first time, you know, we kind of gloss over that, right? Because it doesn't really mean anything. But I want you to put yourselves in, in, the, in the sandals of a first century Jewish person who was expectant and waiting for the Messiah. Well, as, as Luke continues his scripture, his, his gospel, he really carries this, this theme and this idea of the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Christ. Matter of fact, he closes his gospel with about eight different verses that really address this, all surrounding Christ's crucifixion, Christ's death. He closes his uh, beginning in chapter 22 of Luke. He closes his gospel by using these words. Right? When Jesus is on trial, the people say, if you are the Christ, tell us. And then we hear the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Jesus is asked, Are you the Son of God? The Jewish leaders take Jesus to Pilate and they accuse Jesus of saying that he is the king. Pilate asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews, and Jesus answers yes. The Jewish rulers, they ridicule Jesus. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The Roman soldiers mock Jesus. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign is placed above Jesus' head that says, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who's there next to Jesus being crucified says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I find it so fascinating that Luke begins his gospel by talking about Jesus being the consolation of Israel, the hope. And he, he closes his, his gospel by using that same language that Jesus is the Savior, the King, the Redeemer, the one who will rule in an eternal kingdom, right? There's hope there. Can I tell you, as we, as we look at this scripture this morning, there's hope in Jesus Christ. We won't get to this passage here, but later on in, verses, um, in verse 33 and following, there's a women, a woman that comes to the scene by the name of Anna, and she actually uses that same language too. She says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to thank God and to speak speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Man, if ever there was a need for hope in the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. He brought the hope. And he's the hope of all mankind. Not just 2,000 years ago, but here today at the end of 2020, Jesus is our hope. And it's my prayer that today you would find your hope, you would find your trust, you would find your consolation in Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Scripture says and that's who the Scripture points us to. You know, the Old Testament and Luke's Gospel is like, it's like another character, right? He always refers back to the Old Testament. He gives us these examples, right? Because he wants us to understand what's happening in the Jewish community of the first century. And, um, and he wants us to know also that the Holy Spirit wants us to know as we read this that we can find our hope in the fact that God fulfills his promises. Right? If, if, if Luke wouldn't have um, used those Old Testament references, then, I mean, would we, you know, we, we, could, we could find other scripture that helps us to trust in God's word. But he's really opening up the scripture and saying, God did all these things in the, old, in the, in the Jewish nation, and here he is fulfilling them through Jesus Christ. Right? And can I tell you something this morning? If God kept his promises in the past. Guess what? He will keep his promises now. If God kept his promises in the past, he will keep his promises now. And that's where our hope needs to be. Our hope needs to be in that the fact that God continues and always keeps his promises and our hope can be in him. Right? As this year comes to a close, all of us are waiting for 11:59. On Thursday night because we're gonna roll over to 2021 and everything is gonna magically change right right we're gonna be good all the restaurants in town are gonna open the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champions right I mean, everything's gonna change just like that right that was my one football reference for you, okay <laughs> right no there's no guarantee that Friday morning when you wake up on January 1st that anything is gonna be different than it than it is right now at this moment the only guarantee we have is that God is faithful and we can put our hope in him. And that's my prayer for us this morning. But there's, there's something else here in, in, in the book of Luke in this section that we find. As we look at this passage, it, it, it gives us these individuals, Jesus, Joseph, Mary, this guy, Simeon, later this, this woman, Anna, that we briefly mentioned. But even before this, we had shepherds, right? We had um, we had wise men, we had um, we had Zechariah, right? John's parents, right? We had all these things. Ha- even even, even um, you know, like just people that are just just you know connected with Jesus and the, the birth story, right? They're all there in the first couple chapters, right? And and listen to listen to what um, listen to what uh, N. T. Wright had to say about the fact that all these people are involved in this. He says, by the time the first two chapters of Luke are finished, almost all of Luke's readers will have found someone in this story with whom they can identify. Luke wants to draw readers of every age and stage of life into this picture. No matter who or where you are, the story of Jesus from the feeding trough in Bethlehem to the empty tomb and beyond can become your story. So, are you part of that story of God? Do you find your hope in Christ you can and I encourage you to do so right at the beginning I talked about this song happy Christmas war is over the actual title of the song is not happy Christmas the actual title of the song is happy Xmas war is over right we don't we don't have time to talk about John Lennon and his views of Jesus right we're not gonna do that this morning but but the actual title of the song is happy Xmas he doesn't put christ in the title of the song it's happy xmas war is over right this morning we can change that make it personal for us happy christmas we can put christ in the middle of christmas right happy christmas war is over right the struggle that we are facing in life the struggle that is 2020 the war that we fought the hope that we're all looking for right it's found in jesus whatever struggle you're having your life whatever however you're trying to connect through god Right? It's over. Make that connection with the Lord right now and end the war. Right? In the, in the lyrics of that song, war is over if you want it. If you want it, it's over. Right? Happy Christmas. War is over. We don't need to struggle anymore. We can be a part of the story that God is writing. We can find our place in the story. And we can have the hope that comes only through Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for us this morning. That's my prayer for us as we end this year, as we go into 2021. I want to ask uh, Jackie and Brian to come back up and lead us in a final song. I asked them this week, I said, guys, would you, would you mind leading um, the, the, the hymn, Come Long Expected Jesus? That also has become one of my favorites, um, I think because the way Brian plays it. I love the way Brian plays. Thank you guys for leading worship this morning. Um, but just the idea that come, long expected Jesus. We've other songs like that, right? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. All carrying that same idea. But... This song, Come Long Expected, Jesus actually has that phrase, the consolation, the hope of Israel, the consolation. And that's really what's at the heart of this message this morning. Where is your hope at? Please, find your hope in Jesus this morning. Live a life of faith with the Lord. Don't do things out of obligation because you have to, but do it because God has transformed your heart. He's consecrated you and changed you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for your word this morning. Thank you once again for just the the poignancy of your word, how it can speak right to our hearts. That you desire people that have hope, you desire people that look to you for every breath we take. You desire to change our hearts. And if anything, I pray this morning that we could follow the example of Joseph and Mary. And live righteous lives before you, loving you, living a life of faith before you. I pray that you would bless those in this room as we are gathered. Bless those who are watching online. And I pray, honestly, for next year, the next few days, as we get ready to turn over the clock. Pray, Lord, that you would bless the congregation. Pray that you'd bless those who are struggling. Help them to find their strength in you. Help them to come to a point in their life where the war ends. And they have victory in Jesus because of the life you lived. I thank you in Jesus' name.